I'm going to keep going. If there are any new faces in here, my name's Justin, but I'm the other Justin, not Justin Barstale. But he's been preaching on what? Who can tell me? Yell it out. Foundations. And that's been his series for a while. And he asked me to keep that going. He's out uh, for work right now. So I'm going to keep preaching on foundations. But what I'm going to talk tonight about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about that. As believers, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does it look like? What does it look like when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit? Do they walk a certain way? Do they talk, act, say things a certain way? What does it look like? So just to kind of illustrate this, we're going to play a game real quick. I'm going to describe something, and I want you to call it out when you see it. I'm going to describe a plant, okay? This plant grows from a seed. You bury it in the ground. It grows to a tree. The tree's got brown bark and green leaves. It grows a fruit that is red. Okay. Next one is a seed. You plant. It grows into a tree also. It's got brown bark, green leaves, and it grows a fruit that is orange. Okay, last one. This one grows into a bush, and it's got leaves. It's got stickers or thorns, whatever you want to call it, and it grows a berry that is black. Blackberry. Okay, so either you walk around studying plants all the time, or I gave you a clue to what I was talking about. Who could tell me what it was? The fruit. When I described the fruit of the plant, you was able to identify what it is. And it's the same thing as a believer. To see if someone is a genuine believer filled with the Holy Spirit, you can see the fruit that is being produced in their life. And we're going to start in Matthew 7, 17. It says, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So we see good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. And it says you can identify people the same way. So what is in us is going to be manifested, or we're going to show fruits of that. Let's see in Luke 6, 43 through 45. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flow, it flows from what is in your heart. So what comes on the inside of us? There's nothing special about an apple seed on the inside, but what comes out of it shows what it is. And it's the same thing as a person. A believer is going to produce good things out of the treasure of a good heart because God has created in us a new heart. And an evil person, and I know it says evil, and we think, what, this big, scary, ugly, nasty thing, but it's just a person who's not saved. It's just sin. Right, And if we have that buried inside of us, it's going to grow and it's going to manifest itself. So tonight I want us to evaluate ourselves. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And I want you to evaluate yourself. We're not looking at other people. We're not trying to see what other people think. I want you to look at your life and say, what fruit am I being, is being produced in my life? So we're going to start in Galatians 5. I'm going to read 19 to 21 and then I'm going to stop for a second. When you follow the desire of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, 
hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Let me tell you again, or as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what types of fruits are these? Fruits of the flesh, right? And what you might think, what do I have to do to produce these? Absolutely nothing. We are born with a sinful nature. That is who we are at birth. We don't have to do anything special. These are just produced in our life apart from Christ. And the first thing, I want you to check yourself real quick. Are you producing any of these fruits in your life? Not, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, there's a balance. I'm not talking about a slip or a mistake, you know, just a weak moment in your life. And if that is, receive the conviction, repent, and keep moving forward. But I'm talking about, do any of these characterize or identify who you are? And I want you to think about your friends or maybe your parents, but I want you to think of your friends outside of church. Because a lot of times we can kind of put on a facade of who we want to portray, right? If I took a lemon, lemons sort of have a shape of an orange, right? And it kind of has the same texture, the feel. And I could paint it a real pretty orange color. And I can give it to you and say, hey, here's an orange. But it's not until you get to the inside of it, right? And that lemon is squeezed that you can tell it's not an orange. So when you're in the locker rooms or in the softball field, wherever you are, what do these people identify you as? When they see these things, do they think, if, they, if we list, gave them a list of this or told them who you were and put a parallel, would, they, would you run parallel with that? And if so, and, you, and the Lord's probably showing you something right now, if it is, you need to repent right now. God, forgive me. Wash me. Say it with me if you got to. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me a new tree that you can produce good fruit in my life. Because it says that if we don't, if we continue to walk in these things, and these things are continually manifesting themselves in our life, we won't make it to heaven. So that's really all I'm going to say about that tonight. I want to talk about, but I want to break down the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit that as a believer we should have in our life. So we're going to keep going through Galatians 5, um, 22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says that our body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, meaning it's just a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, and it's been placed there by God. And when God places his Holy Spirit into us, once we become born again, we have to put on a new nature. We have to set aside the things of the flesh, crucify them to the cross, and begin to walk out God's plan for our life and walk in God's nature, bearing the fruits of God, which are what? The fruits of the Spirit. So we're going to break down each one of them. There's nine of them. Don't get nervous. It's a lot of bullet points. You're probably thinking, this dude said nine. So we're going to break down each one. So we're going to talk about little bullet points of it. So if you're taking notes, it should be easy to follow along with. The first one is love. And this is the agape love of God. Pastor Kevin has talked about it before. And this is the love of God and the love that he has placed inside of us. 
This love is limitless and selfless. It does not look at itself. And it is not a feeling. So many times we mistake this with a feeling. But we know that God is love. He doesn't wake up some mornings and say, you know, I love you. And the next morning he doesn't. He, it, love is who he is. And it has to become who we are. Once the Holy Spirit's been placed in us, we have to take on that nature. It loves the undeserving and unworthy. Who is that? Our enemies, right? It's so easy to love your mom, your dad, your friends, all these things. But we have to love those who we would consider unworthy and undeserving. Maybe those who have lashed out at us, been mean to us, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever. We have to love those. Matthew 5, 43 says this. You have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. This goes with it. And you got to see, at one time, we were enemies of God. Before we were saved, we were enemies of God. But we see in John 3, 16, it says that what? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. I didn't give this to you guys, so don't get nervous on me. But it was love that sent Jesus to the cross. And it wasn't for the right. Y'all have heard me say this before. It wasn't for the righteous man, but it was for the enemies of God. Because when we're in our flesh, you're an enemy of God. So we have to do the same thing for those. Love everyone around us, even those who it may seem don't deserve it. The second one is joy. It's an inner gladness, a deep-seated pleasure, depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. I want you to remember that part. God's joy is everlasting. You see, the world tries to imitate a lot of things of God, and the, the world will try to give you a little bit of joy, but it's nothing but a roller coaster ride. You wake up today, you feel great. You wake up tomorrow, you feel beat down. But God's joy is everlasting. It creates rejoicing and stirs up faith, can only be given by God and does not depend on our circumstances. A lot of times we try to think joy comes when everything's going good, right? You just passed the test. You just got a new job. You just got a new vehicle. Whatever the thing is, man, that brings joy to your life. But you got to understand that's temporary things. God's joy doesn't matter what's going on. It's everlasting. And we've got to get past that feeling of my situation right now isn't good. I think of Paul and Silas, right? We all know that moment. They've been beaten, and they are in prison, locked up. And all of a sudden, it's at, it, the Bible says midnight. Man, we talk about it as believers, right? Worshiping and all that, and that's great. But they had something deep inside of them that ignited that worship in their hearts. And it was joy. And we see that when they began to worship and that joy was manifested in their life, that the prison foundation was shaken. And we talk about this, the salvation or the freedom that was brought to Paul and Silas. But what about the freedom of those around them? Their joy overflowed. Here they are bound up and beaten. And the very man who said that they needed to be beaten, who called for him to be beaten, and they called for him to be chained up. The prison guard came to them and said, what must I do to be saved? You would think he's walking around, right? He could probably go home if he wants, but he's coming to them saying, you've got something in your life that I need. And our joy has to be that light for other people that when they see us and they see that we're going through a hard time, right? We've got to quit putting that front on that everything's perfect in our life. But we have to allow our joy to speak to people so when they see it, that freedom can come to their life. The third one is peace. 
And I want you to think of this as one. Pastor Kevin said before, in the kingdom of God, one plus one equals... Say it a little louder. Okay, I was just making sure y'all paying attention over there. One plus one equals one. It means bound together, to join, to weave together. It means we are bound, joined, and weaved together with God, others, and ourselves. It means wholeness and soundness. And the world's peace is found through pleasure and false sense of hope. This is temporary as well. And this is just like I said, joy. The world's peace is a roller coaster ride, right? One day you feel good, the next day you don't. But all it's offering and all Satan is trying to do is give you a false sense of hope, a false sense of everything is going to be okay. But God's peace is deep within and undisturbed by any situation. You're going to see in just about every fruit, it's going to talk about it doesn't matter who or it doesn't matter what. We are called to keep these fruits in our life and be unshaken. And I think of Psalms 91, you know, though 10,000 or the 1,000 are falling at your side, 10,000 are dying around you. These evils will not touch you, right? It doesn't matter what's going on in our life. Everything can be in complete chaos. Everyone around you can be falling out, but you have to keep your peace, God's peace gives us assurance. I think of the scripture that all things work together. Our peace gives, God's peace gives us assurance that he's going to do what he says. And John 16, and this is Jesus talking here. He said, I have told you this so that you may have what? Peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling you right here, things are going to come at you. Things are going to come come against you. You're going to face these things. Things are not going to feel right, but keep your peace in me. That since Jesus was an overcomer, we are an overcomer. Since Jesus overcame, we are an overcomer. But we have to maintain our peace. Number four is patience or long-suffering. This means bearing a long time, perseverance, being constant and steadfast, endurance, our patience must never break no matter what attacks us. And this is physical, this is spiritual, this is emotional, whatever. Anything that comes against our life, we have to maintain our patience. And I want you to look at uh, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. It says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. To put this in kind of simple terms, somebody hits you, hit them back. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you are to carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Even when we are physically attacked, and I'm not talking about being mugged in the street. I'm talking about just a carnal flesh attack. We are not allowed as believers to lash out. We have to maintain our patience because in Romans 2, 4, it says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? Our patience should be a mirror image of God's patience towards us. I want you to apply this to your life. If God was as patient with you as you were to other people, how would you be treated? He might have jerked me up a long time ago. I'm going to be honest with you. 
We have to maintain that so we can be that representative of God to those who are lost. This kind of goes with those who don't deserve it as well, right? We have to show them that patience. Number five is kindness. And I have it, kindness and gentleness kind of go, but I'm going to also talk about gentleness separately. But kindness, being kind, useful, helpful, gentle, considerate through all circumstances or situations. And if you keep in, taking notes, I want you to put this down. A person full of kindness does not act, and I'm just going to give you some ways. They do not act hard. What does that mean? I don't care. Let, let, them, let them do what they're going to do. I really don't care. That's up to them. That ain't got nothing to do with me. Indifferent. Oh, well, I guess they're going to do it. I got to say, and it is what it is, right? I, my wife always asks me, what does that mean? But I guess I'm saying. So harsh. They deserve it. He did it. He deserves it. She did it. She deserves it. They were mean to me. I don't care if that happens to them. Unconcerned. How many people in here has had someone ask, them to, uh, ask, ask you to pray for them? Raise your hand. All right, out of those, keep your hands up if you actually forgot to pray for them. The same amount of hands, right? That's meaning we're just kind of, we're unconcerned. They're going through something. They trust you enough to ask you to pray for them. And what do we do? Okay, I'll pray for you and never think anything else about it. Or we've had people come up to us, right, and try to talk to us and share their heart with us. And the whole time we've got about a thousand other things going through our mind. We're trying to get to the next thing. We can't be unconcerned for people. Too busy. That one kind of hit me a little bit, right? There's been times before the Lord's asked me to do something or kind of tell me, I'm like, Lord, you know what time I got to be at work? You know what time I, you know I got to go somewhere? And we act too busy to show the kindness of God to other people. And bitter is the last one. Kindness cares for others and sympathizes for them. And this also goes with those who we may consider undeserving and unworthy. Luke 6:35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is, unkind, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And we see where God showed his kindness to us. It goes back to the cross. We were enemies of God. We didn't deserve his kindness, but he showed it to us through, his, through the cross. And this goes to those who, don't, who act like they don't care, who are unappreciative, who may not even say thank you. It's still our responsibility to show that kindness because we are that representative of God to them. Romans um, 12, 14 through 16. Blessed are those who, are per who persecute. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. I, I picked that part for be happy with those who are happy. Rejoice with the fellow believers, man. They have a victory. Someone gets saved. Rejoice with them. Rejoice in the blessings of other people and weep with those who weep. When they're going through something, we can't act like we, we don't care. We can't be like, why are they still doing that? Right? We have to weep for them. Be there for them. Show them compassion and sympathy. Number six is goodness. Being full of virtue and excellence, kind and helpful, has a good heart and good behavior, is good and does good, 
This is a person, a person full of goodness is a person of integrity. And I looked up what integrity meant because I've always heard it, you know, integrity means you are, or integrity is who you are when no one's looking. But I looked it up and it says, it means honesty without compromise or corruption. A good person will not allow evil to have its way and they stand against evil. A good person stands against evil. It will not allow evil to have its way. And this is in other people's lives and in your life as well. Sometimes we have to battle the things in our life. And we cannot let that evil stand. We have to fight against that. As Pastor Kevin, I think, I can't remember if it was last Wednesday or Sunday, he talked about it's a war. We have to wage war against these things. And we have to fight against that which is not of God. And a good person or a person full of goodness does not show favoritism. How many of y'all have friends in here? How many of y'all's friends have been wrong a time or two, right? But even when your friend is in the wrong against biblical truth, we are called to stand in opposition against that. And in that, we come to them in love and we tell them, but we cannot show favoritism and side with them just because it's our friend. And the same thing in our life. You can't show favoritism on you. It's like, well, it's just me. No one really is affected by this. No, we cannot show favoritism no matter what. We have to be uncompromisable and uncorrupted. Number seven is faithfulness. Faithfulness means being full of faith, trustworthy, loyal, and steadfast, constant and enduring. Faithfulness does not doubt God, his salvation, his provision, or his strength to help. Faithfulness does not run to God and then turn away. It does not walk with God and then give in to our flesh. Faithfulness never surrenders no matter what may come. Our, it, when we are standing in faith and we are full of faithfulness, it doesn't matter what our life looks like. We have to stand on the promises of God. And how do we know what God says about things? We get in our word. We read our Bible. Whatever situation we're going in, we need a word from the Lord on that, that we can stand in that so that our faith will stand the test. And let's see, in 1 Corinthians 1.9, it says, God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Faithfulness means this. God says it. I believe it. I don't care what it looks like, what it feels like. I'm moving forward. And as we're walking, I want you to think, are you someone when things get a little rocky in your life or it seems like something comes against you, do you bail? Do you bail out? Do you walk with God for a little while and then all of a sudden you fall back? Do you walk with God a little while and then all of a sudden a little temptation comes and you're easily swayed? We can't be that way. We have to remain faithful. And number eight is gentleness. The King James Version says meekness. Cole might get a little excited here in a minute. So gentleness means gentle, Tender, humble, mild, but strong. Not weak or cowardly. Meekness has self-control, steps in to help those in need, but strikes out in anger against evil. Now, striking out in anger sounds like, wait, what? But this is anger at the right time and in the, against the right thing. And what was it? Evil. Pastor Kevin said, it's a war. I'm going back to that. We have to wage war against anything that comes against the word of God or against the spirit of God. 
But you see, we, and Jesus is the perfect example of meekness, right? And we see here in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says, oh, 28, you're right. Then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. When I hear this scripture, when I read this scripture, I think of just peace. I think of calm. I think of just being with Jesus. Everything is good. But then all of a sudden, and we see that is the gentleness. That is the meekness of Jesus, right? Tender, humble, gentle. But what about the other Matthew scripture in 21? Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables, the money changers, and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. We see a shift in Jesus here. Jesus ain't happy when he's doing this. He's lashing out or he's acting out in anger against evil. And sometimes we've got to make a whip. And sometimes we've got to flip the table in our own lives. It's easy to say we need to flip tables in the church. We need to flip tables in other people's lives. And yeah, we need to oppose that evil. But sometimes you're like, I just can't get this temptation. I can't get this struggle out of my life. Make a whip. Drive it out. Flip the tables in your life. Get radical about this. Because, and when it comes to other people, deal with them gently, tenderly, humbly, but be strong and teach them and tell them what the word of God says about this. And the same goes for us. But remember, it's anger at the right time and against the right thing. It's not just walking around ticked off. So the last one, number nine, is self-control. And this is to master and control your body and flesh. To be strong, controlled, and restrained. Not given into any desires of the flesh. To stand against the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride. Our self-control is to constantly grow stronger. When you're a believer, you're, when you first become a believer, your self-control might be this big. But the longer you walk with God, it has to become stronger and stronger. And before we go, I want, I want to end with two different things. Two things I really want you to take away from this. The first one is this, that we can never do anything for Christ apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even the small, what seems like the smallest things. We see in Acts 6, it says, so the 12 disciples called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles, and this is the moment when they were passing out food to the widows and everything, and they came to them, and they're like, some were getting more favor than others. Some, they're giving more food to some and less food to others. And we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend their time in prayer and teaching the word. So what are they saying? In order to even serve God, which that's a big thing. I'm not trying to play it down or downplay it or anything. But in order to serve God, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. They're saying here, in order to put a hairnet on and put food on someone's plate, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit because they knew that chaos would keep ensuing. They wouldn't, if they just picked a couple people, and I'm sure they probably had plenty, that it would have just kept on. It would have been the same issues. It would have been the same battles. Things wouldn't have been done with excellence. 
And you think, well, all I do is maybe I clean the nest or I pick flowers. But apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to do that or we're not going to do that properly. So when people come on campus, right, and you're, not, and you're just doing it, you're half-hearted, and you're cleaning the nest, all of a sudden a baby gets sick. Or people come on campus, guys, and they look and like, wow, look at these flower beds. Pastor Kevin said before how, many, how people talk about the way our campus looks. It's because people who are filled with the Holy Spirit are serving God in what they do. So remember that you can't do anything for Christ apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last one is this. We will never make a stand for Christ apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Stephen was one of the guys who was chosen to serve food. And then all of a sudden, the next chapter, we can go ahead and look at that. This is where Stephen had been arrested, basically, for preaching the gospel. And he is standing before these people, and he is t- he's, he's making his stand. They, they, they lied about him. They brought accusations against him. But because he's filled with the Holy Spirit... He has so much peace about this. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's fixing to be stoned to death. These people are bringing some serious accusations against him. But he is standing in truth. He's standing full of the Holy Spirit. And he knows that he's okay in in what's happening because what they're saying is not true. We will never be able to make a stand against people against the devil, against temptations, apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. So real quick, we're going to go ahead. I want everybody to stand up. We're going to go ahead, and this is going to be our altar call tonight, guys. It's, not, it's, it's going to be simple, but I want you to search your heart. Do you want more of Jesus in your life? Did you see the fruit? Maybe you saw the fruits of the flesh. You can go ahead and start playing the music, guys. Maybe you saw the fruits of the flesh, and you said, you know what? This is part of me. This is the things that I'm producing in my life. If so, let's get it right tonight. Don't leave this place with those things still binding you up, those things still manifesting themselves in your life. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm doing the best I can, but listening to some of these fruits, this will battle. I need work in this area, and we all need work. I need work, you need work. We all need it, but if you want more, then what you're doing, you want to give God more and you want to receive more from God and you want these fruits manifesting in your life like never before. That's our altar call tonight. We're going to get some leaders just kind of scattered around. If you want to go pray with one of them, you can. Or if you just want to come to the altar, you can. But this is simple tonight. Do you want more of God or do you want to get rid of the fruits of the flesh in your life? So let's go ahead and worship.